He is risen indeed. This is incredible. This is incredible. Today, this morning, we woke up to a completely different world. We woke up to a completely different world. When we gathered together on Friday, we remembered and we mourned the tragic death of our Savior. We celebrated as we reflected on that because of the price that he paid for us. But without a doubt, even in the midst of that celebration, it was solemn, it was somber, and we mourned because of what he went through for us. And on Saturday, we were scattered apart like the disciples who ran and hid after the death of Jesus. And we bore the weight on Saturday of the realization that our Savior is dead, that God has gone silent. But then we woke up this morning. And he has risen. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> Amen. Michelle, you're the one that got this started. <laughs> when I was coming down the aisle, Michelle looked at me and said, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. And this changes everything. This changes everything. In Christianity, this is something that we say often here together as a church family. It's kind of become part of our liturgy. And we repeat this to each other to remind ourselves of this. In Christianity, we do not honor a martyr who gave up his life for a worthy cause. In Christianity, we embrace something so much more radical than that. In Christianity, we worship the very Son of God who through his own will laid down his life for the forgiveness of our sins and through his own strength and the power of his Father and the power of the Holy Spirit, he picked it back up again and shares that life with us as well. And we are swept up in that resurrection life of Jesus. The Jesus that we celebrate today is so much more than just a brilliant teacher that we're still talking about the things that he said. He's so much more than a moral example. He's so much more than a revolutionary movement maker. This is Jesus, the very Son of God, God in the flesh, who in his death swallowed up death. In his death, in the blood that he poured out for us, when his body was broken and his blood was poured out, he swallowed up sin. And then on the third day, when he was raised back to new life, this full resurrection life comes at us like a tidal wave and swallows up death and changes everything forever. Changes everything forever. When Jesus gets his hands on the story when Jesus gets his hands on our story, the same thing happens for us. The very same thing happens. Suddenly the end becomes a new beginning when Jesus grabs a hold of it. And rock bottom for us becomes an opportunity to start all over again. 
And when everything is falling apart, this resurrection power of Jesus has a way of making us new all over again. This is the resurrection and the power of Jesus, and we celebrate that today. This is our day. This is our day. I absolutely love it. If you lost a loved one over this past year, then this Easter is different for you. And this Easter is full of the promise that the pain that you felt through that, the very real pain that you walked through, through that experience, will turn to joy when you are reunited because of the resurrection life of Jesus. If your life has been falling apart over the past year, this Easter is different for you. This Easter is your day because you're reminded once again, you're reminded once again that with Jesus, the end is an opportunity for a new beginning. As the poet T.S. Eliot said, the end is not the end. The end is where we start from. I love that. I love it. Here we are, Easter Sunday the end that turned into a new beginning. We had the kids in here with us earlier, and I love it when the kids get to be in here with us. And April and Derek do such a fantastic job leading them and shepherding them and shaping their hearts. And it thrills me to think that today there are kids over in the next theater and upstairs and in the nursery that are going to be hearing bits and pieces of the Easter story, maybe for the very first time. Isn't that beautiful? I love it. My own two sons came running down the hallway, and when they saw the lights up here, uh, my son Sam said, is it Christmas? (laughs) Not quite. It's the other end of that story. It's the other end of that story, and the mission that begins on Christmas when God himself takes on flesh and steps into our story. The mission that begins there. For Jesus to reveal what the Father is like is completed today. We're at the bookend of that story. And when Jesus says, it is finished on the cross, now we see the fulfillment of that in Easter Sunday. I love it. I love it. This is such a fantastic story. So today we're going to be reading the Easter story together in uh, John chapter 20. And over the past several weeks, we've been preparing ourselves for the cross. We've been on this journey with Jesus towards the cross, and now this is the culmination of it here on Easter Sunday morning. And so we, we took time walking through John chapters 13 uh, through 17 together. These words of Jesus as he's teaching his disciples around the table that last night that he is with them, what is called the last discourse of Jesus. We've been walking through that, and now this morning we're in John chapter 20, and we see what is on the other side of what Jesus had been promising them. So read together with me and hear the word of God, our great hope in Jesus Christ. Here it goes, chapter 20, starting with verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Most people believe that this is uh, the apostle John, the one who is authoring the book. And he inserts himself in this way 
of, you know, not wanting to put his name in there, as we've talked about before. Such a humble move of him. I don't want to put my name in there, but, you know, the one Jesus loved, okay? The one he liked better than all the rest, okay? So, hilarious, all right? So, the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. You have to imagine the confusion, the heartache the, just that, that is going on with that. This is not a celebration moment for them right now. They think someone has stolen the body of Jesus, and so they go running toward the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Let's just put that in the historical record for all of time. <laughs> the one Jesus loved, who was an excellent runner, far better than his friend Peter, he may have been the rock on which Jesus was going to build the church, but I'm faster. Okay. <laughs> the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, the linen that Jesus had been wrapped in when he was buried. He looked in, he saw the strips of linen, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived finally and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus's Head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Don't you love this? Jesus rises from the dead, goes through the crucifixion, rises from the dead, and folds his clothes. <laughs> I love it. It's awesome. Great. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, by the way, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. We're going to pause right here for just a moment and reflect on what we've read so far. We're going to, we're going to keep going in just a minute. But first of all, here's the deal. The tomb is empty. This is the first thing that we learn. And, and so the disciples hear this. They take off running to examine what has happened, to explore what has happened. And they find that the tomb is empty. Now, there are all kinds of just countless theories of how the tomb could have become empty. There are all kinds of theories swirling out there, and many more, I'm sure, will continue to emerge, and there'll be all kinds of discoveries and breakthroughs about we've kind of figured out this is a possibility of how the tomb ended up empty. And so some will say, well, the disciples stole the body away and hid it in order to start this story that Jesus was raised from the dead as he had promised before, right? The disciples who ran and hid when Jesus was arrested suddenly get up this vigilante kind of courage to go and to fight through the guards who had been placed at the tomb to steal away the body of Jesus. The disciples who are hiding behind closed doors by their own admission in the Gospels, the ones who aren't out to make themselves look 
good in this story. The ones who failed him, the ones who ran away, the ones whose courage caved, they go and they fight their way through to the tomb and steal the body of Jesus away. Not likely. Not likely at all. There's another story and another theory that says, well, they looked in the wrong place. Okay, then just point out the right place, and the whole thing is over, right? And then there's another story that says, well, Jesus wasn't quite dead yet. All right, that's the Monty Python Holy Grail theory, okay? I'm not dead yet, all right? Not quite dead yet. That Jesus, after the Roman crucifixion, after the torture that he went through, after the beating that he went through, after the amount of blood that he lost, was laid in the tomb and then kind of resuscitated, got back up, pushed away the stone, walked through the guards. Thanks, guys. Thanks for hanging out with me for a couple of days. And then just walks away and then appears to his disciples. Not very Likely. Here's the deal. There are all kinds of theories about how the tomb became empty. And the central point of this entire thing is the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. There have to be all of these theories because the thing at the middle of it is the fact that the tomb is empty. And for the rest of history, from that point on, we've had to wrestle with the fact how is the tomb empty? And we can create all the theories that we want, but the truth remains the tomb was empty. Where was Jesus buried? Just outside of Jerusalem, where he was crucified. Where did the story of Christianity begin? In Jerusalem. That's where the story caught traction. Forget about putting the disciples in prison. Forget about the persecution of the disciples and the movement. Just produce the body. And the whole thing crumbles before it even gets a chance to start. The tomb is empty. There are all kinds of theories, and of course, these seem far-fetched, but let's be real. None of these theories are as far-fetched as the fact that a man was dead and now he's alive. Let's be honest. That's the most far-fetched story of all, and it's a ridiculous story unless that man actually was who he claimed to be the very son of God who himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. In that case, it makes perfect, perfect sense. The tomb is empty. There's another piece I love about this passage as we go on here in verse eight. It says this, that, that, that John went in, the disciple Jesus loved, who was very fast, went in and he saw and he believed. He saw and he believed. But look at the very next line. The very next line says this. They still did not understand. They still did not understand. Here's the thing about belief. Most of the time, belief comes before understanding. Belief comes before understanding. They would later understand when the Holy Spirit arrives, also when Jesus appears to them and he begins to teach them about how the Old Testament was talking about this the entire time, they would understand and the Holy Spirit will lead them into all truth and they would understand. But at this point, they believed even though they did not yet understand. Christianity 
invites us into a wild risk of trust. To embrace something that is too large for us to understand fully and completely. Here's the thing about faith. It requires faith. Faith requires faith. It calls for it. And it invites you to step out into the unknown. And when you take the step, suddenly you find solid ground beneath your feet. Right now, you might not completely understand. You've been wrestling with this idea of Christianity. You felt drawn to this person of Jesus, but the whole thing doesn't completely make sense to you yet. That is okay. I'm with you. All right? I don't have all of the answers yet either. Just this past week, I had a couple of meetings with some of our college students, and I love those meetings. I just, man, it thrills me because there are always such great questions, fantastic questions that make me do so much homework and and think so hard, and I absolutely love it. And there are a couple of questions that I was asked even this week that I wish I could have that question back again, right? I wish I could have another shot at that and try again because guess what? I didn't have an answer. I didn't have an answer. You might not have all of the answers yet. Neither do I. But here's what I know about Christianity I know that this is a deep and rich and all-consuming kind of faith that is so full, you're never going to completely understand it, especially not from the start. You're being invited into a journey of understanding that begins with belief. Jesus promised us in John chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit would come, and when the Holy Spirit arrives he is the spirit of truth and he would lead us into all truth this is an ongoing journey for all believers and he is drawing you into that he is inviting you into that so as you wrestle with your questions i encourage you to do that all right i encourage you to do that god is not afraid of your questions as you wrestle with your questions though don't see them as barricades right don't see them as barriers instead see them as invitations into deeper understanding of this faith risk trust take a step out and you will find solid ground beneath your feet here's the thing wrestle with your questions i encourage that see them as invitations into deeper understanding i love that but let me challenge you with this Here's something that your questions cannot be. They cannot be an excuse to hide behind. They can't be an excuse to hide behind. And for some of you, there's something stirring in your heart where you realize you've come to a point. And he's asking you to take a step. But I don't understand completely yet. He's saying, trust me. Risk trust. Faith actually requires faith. And as you step deeper into this and continue to follow him, he will lead you into expanding understanding of who he is. Awesome. As it goes on, we see that um, Mary Magdalene also comes with these disciples to the tomb. Here's what it says. The disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood out of the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over and she looked into the tomb. 
And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize yet that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. I love that. I want to stop for just a second right here at that statement, thinking he was the gardener. Fantastic. The resurrected Jesus that she thinks he's the gardener. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Except it makes total sense. Remember in John chapter 15, when Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches, branches. <laughs> and my father is the gardener. My father is the gardener. Reconciliation with God has been won where? In a garden. In a garden. And she thinks he is the gardener. In fact, he is, as a matter of fact. I love it. So she thinks that. She asks him the question Just tell me where he, you have put him, and I will go and get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told, that, and she told them that he said these things to her. I absolutely love this, because what we have going on here first is she begins to recognize Jesus when he speaks her name. It suddenly becomes clear to her who Jesus is when Jesus speaks her name. Jesus has already said in the same book in chapter 10 that my sheep will know me by my voice. They will know me by my voice. Jesus is calling the name of some people in this room today. For some of you, you feel your soul stirring. You feel your mind running. There's a tug that you are feeling in your chest and you are sensing that Jesus, the resurrected Son of God, is calling you by name. Will you embrace that today? Will you surrender to that today? If that's you and this is happening for the very first time, I'm not talking about a recommitment or renewal or anything like that. I'm talking about for the very first time. You have encountered the resurrected Jesus this morning and he's calling you by your name. If that's you, then I'm just going to ask you to have the courage to raise your hand right now. Awesome. Awesome. Praise the Lord.
praise the Lord. Amen. Jesus, thank you for these friends that you have called by name, that you are calling into relationship with you. Your sheep know you by your voice. You are our shepherd. Lead us. It's your name we pray. Amen. 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 As we wrap up, the last piece here is this. Mary then runs back to the disciples and tells them what she has seen. I love this because many of these disciples will later be called the evangelists, right? John himself, the one is is called the evangelist who writes this gospel. And yet Mary is the evangelist to the evangelists, right? She is the one who brings the good news for the very first time. Mary is the first person in history to preach and declare and proclaim the good news that Jesus is risen, just as he promised. Now, this is incredible because of who Mary is. Now, in history, like, people have put all kind of stuff on this character, and uh, some people think that she's the character in John 8 that's caught in adultery. She's not, all right? We don't get any indication from Scripture that that is the case, okay? Not at all. Some people think she's the woman that comes and breaks the perfume and, and, and puts it on Jesus' feet and anoints Jesus in that way. She's not. In that passage, we're told that it's Mary, the sister of Lazarus, Mary from Bethany, different Mary, okay? So we've confused all of these Marys, and there are a lot of things that we think we know about her. Here's all we know about Mary Magdalene. She's mentioned in all four of the Gospels, all right? She's mentioned in all four of the Gospels, and usually it's at the end. She's at the crucifixion, and she's the witness to the resurrection. Luke gives us one mention before this section. It's Luke chapter 8, and it says that she was one of the women that followed Jesus and took care of some of his needs because, let's not forget, did Jesus have a home? No. No, no place to lay his head. Jesus was essentially homeless. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. So she was part of this community that came around and helped to care for the needs of our Savior, Jesus. It tells us that, and it also tells us this that she had been healed by Jesus. She had been healed by Jesus from demon possession. That is who Mary is. That's all we know about her, okay? We know that she's a woman, and we know that she was healed by Jesus. Why is it significant that she was a woman? Because in this day and time, the word of women was not taken seriously. In fact, here's the reality. The testimony of a woman was not even permissible in court. It carried no weight at all. In a court situation, they were not allowed to speak. They were not trusted to be able to tell the truth. I'm sorry, women. That's a different time and culture, all right? That's the reality of that time and of that culture. In fact, there's an old statement from some of the Jewish writing that says this. Get your mind around the severity of this. It says... Better for the law to be burned. Remember how sacred the law is? Better for the law to be burned than to be delivered to a woman. This is the environment of that culture. And yet Jesus, in his brilliance and his wisdom and his grace, chooses a woman to be the first preacher 
of the gospel, good news that Jesus Christ is in fact resurrected from the dead. Incredible. Not just any woman, but a woman with a very broken past, healed by Jesus. So what's your story? What's stopping you from telling people that Jesus is alive? What's stopping you? What's stopping you? Our friends Chris and Tiana Clark, they have two lovely little daughters, Kaya and Cadence. Today, Kaya is Kaya's four years old, and she today is rocking her Easter best, man. You got to see this, all right? She's got the hat. She's got the gloves. She's got the dress. She is fantastic. And yesterday, she was talking to her mom, Tiana, and she said, Mom, do some people not realize that tomorrow is Easter? And she says, yeah, Kaya, probably some people don't, don't really know that tomorrow is Easter. And she said, I don't think the Leroy's know. I better tell them. (laughs) That's my family, by the way, in case you don't know me. And sure enough, I saw her yesterday, and she told me. She's like, do you realize tomorrow is Easter? Thank you, Kaya. Thank you for reminding me. All right. Awesome. Great. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Kai is doing it. Kai is doing it. What's stopping you? Mary Magdalene's doing it. What's stopping you? We have to spread this incredible news that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Out in the lobby, you can find one of these. It's very simple. It just says, share your Jesus story. Three very simple ways to help you share it. Here's the deal. You don't have to have every answer. You only need one answer. What has Jesus done for you? Tell your story. That's the only thing you need to know right now. Don't worry about every other answer. Give one answer, what Jesus Christ has done for you. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, and our lives are completely different because of this. We woke up today to a different world because of the resurrection of Jesus he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. To celebrate that this morning, we're going to close with communion. And I love celebrating communion with this family. On Friday, we celebrated communion, and it was a somber event, as we said before. It was solemn, and we remembered the great price that Jesus pray, paid for us. And our hearts broke as we broke the bread. This morning, it's a very different story. Today, we celebrate communion knowing that Jesus Christ, the body that was broken, the blood that was poured out, Jesus Christ is alive. And we have full hope in that. Luke tells us, that this is one of the ways he revealed himself to his disciples after he had been raised from the dead. He walked with them and he talked with them and they didn't even recognize him at first until he got to their home and he sat down at a table with them and he took the bread off the table there and he broke it. And suddenly their eyes were opened 
to who he was. May your eyes be open today as you share in this communion together, as you taste the body and the blood of Jesus. May belief spark in you that becomes understanding as you live this out and experience the reality of the grace of Jesus. Because his body was broken, because his blood was poured out, we have salvation and forgiveness of our sins. But because the story didn't end there, we have resurrection life through Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. We invite you to celebrate with us today. You'll just come down to uh, the side here and you'll tear off a piece of the bread. And as we like to say, no crumbs in the kingdom. We've got plenty of bread. Tear off a big piece. This is a celebration, all right? Dip it into the cup. Taste and see and remember that the Lord is good. If you want to embrace what Jesus Christ has done for you today, then we invite you to his table and to share in that. Amen.